Today I want to walk you through something that I've just been seeking the Lord on this, and I want to talk to you about two passages of Scripture out of the book of Deuteronomy. If you'll pass those notebooks down on the end of the row, if you've not already done so, take out your note card. I'm going to give you a few key phrases and statements that I want to make. And um, I really believe God does want to stir something in us today. You know, we're, we're learning what it is to be the next generation church, not just the previous generation church. And how many of you know the next generation church is tired of merely being entertained? They're, they're tired of just merely being entertained. The next generation church is tired of being treated like a bunch of consumers that we entertain when they show up, hopefully, to get them back. And so what we've done is we've shifted our mindset to do more than just try and gather people in a room. And what we truly want to begin to do is make disciples. We want to empower people. So as I'm talking to you today, I don't want to give you a bunch of clever insights so that you'll like a speaker. I want to empower you with some concepts that will help you know the Savior more intimately every day. And so we're going to talk about two passages out of the book of Deuteronomy, and I I just want to show you something that's interesting about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, we see where a man made a mistake, and God gave an immediate response, promising to redeem humanity. In the book of Exodus, we see where God began to draw humanity out of bondage, draw his people out of a place of bondage, and introduce them, you're going to have to catch it now, introduce them to truth that would awaken flourishing lives. And then we see the progression into Leviticus where God begins to establish healthy expressions or healthy routines of worship. And in Numbers, then we see where God begins to address and deal with unbelief, complaining and whining, so that the people don't have to suffer the consequences that will result when they walk in a place of unbelief and rebellion and, and complaining. And then in Deuteronomy, what we see is God is awakening something of the next generation to move into a place of greater promise. And if you know the context of these five books, you know what I'm talking about. Suddenly now, uh, Moses is awakening Joshua and his role of leadership, the next generation church, the next generation people, the next generation God's posse, they're coming on the scene, and it's going to be an incredible place of advancement into great promise. Now, this is wild because when you look, and the reason I want you to understand this is because it aligns with you, and it aligns with me, it aligns with our lives, this whole progression. Because how many of you have made mistakes? Can I just see, raise your hand. How many of you know somebody who's made mistakes? Just point on them. Just give a point right now. Just confess your brother's faults one to another or something like that. And so we all understand what it is to make mistakes, and after we make a mistake, or we, we begin to understand the mistake of fallen humanity, we respond to God, and guess what? Genesis, he immediately responds to us and awakens a promise within us to redeem our lives. Exodus, he draws us out of the bondage of where we've been. How many are glad you're not where you used to be? He begins to establish something in your life out of Leviticus that begins to perpetuate healthy routines of worship. Everybody say, healthy routine. Very important that you understand worship is a part, not just of waking you up out of your spiritual slumber, not just out of getting you out of your place of bondage, but then a routine or a rhythm of worship comes back over and over again to remind me who God is, who I'm not, and let me know there's more in store for what God has in mind. And so I want to embrace that. And then he takes us into a greater place of maturity, numbers, where we start realizing God wants 
to address our rebellion. Yes, even Christians have rebellion. Yes, even though you become a Christian, doesn't mean God cleans you up all at once. He's got to deal with some of the mechanism and the wiring that's deep within you, the patterns that you've spent years establishing. God begins to reach deep into our lives, disconnect, reconnect, cultivate, and awaken something within us. You are a new creation, but you still have some old patterns. And God then begins to address and deal with those so that you don't have to suffer the consequences that result from that. And then we get into a place of Deuteronomy in our own lives where we begin to understand, how many know life's not just about me? It's about moving beyond myself. And Deuteronomy is about waking up the next generation to understand the importance of carrying the mantle of the church. Jesus didn't die so we could be spiritual. Jesus died to establish the church. And we have to be devoted to this perpetual rhythm of being the body of Christ, gathering as the body of Christ, expanding the work of God in the earth. The community knows who we are more effectively now because we have been at this for a while, devoting ourselves to loving, serving, giving in this community, expanding who we are. People know they can rely on us. People know they can count on us. People know that we will do our best to be there when there is a place of need in our community because that's what God's called us to do. And we see that in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, as there's an exhortation then particularly to train up our sons and daughters in these ways of God, in this entire progression. And that's what we see taking place. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Just put your hand on your heart. I'm going to ask you to do this a couple of times today. Sorry if it seems juvenile, but I want you to get this point. Very important. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them a little bit. I mean, just four times. Talk about them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's all the four times you have to talk about them. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. You can take your hand off your heart, by the way. <laughs> Tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your, bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, think about the truth that God wants us to understand on an ongoing, regular basis. The perpetual gathering together as the church reminds us. But folks, if you want your children to walk in the ways of God, then you need to not rely on children's ministry to be the source of empowering your kids. You need to be the men and women of God in your house, raising up your sons and daughters. Our kids' ministry is about supplementary support structure. Our youth ministry is about supplementary support structure. All of our ministry expressions are about supplementary support structure. We, in the Old Testament, Israel camped around the presence of God. In the New Testament, we tend to camp around preachers and teaching. And God wants us to get back to an understanding. The call of God on your life and the call of God on my life is that we experience the presence of God every day that we live in our homes. We have communion at the back of this center uh, stage, the center area of the congregation. Every Sunday, you can go back there during worship. You can go to the giving stations, and all that can be an expression of worship in your life. It's a wonderful thing to do here, but folks, you need to be doing that at home. You need to be initiating postures of worship in your home. If you're single, do this with other individuals that you're in a covenant connection with. Worship God with your life. When you sit, when you stand, when you lie down, when you get up, all these times that the Bible clearly says we 
need to integrate this into everything that God's called us to do. I just want you to know, that is the essence of our philosophy of Christian education. When you play baseball, when you play football, when you play volleyball, when you play soccer, when you do a spelling bee, when you do any subject, history is not just about the history of humanity. History is about God's finger writing his story, history, from beginning to end. This is about our understanding. Math is about the order of the universe that somehow God could set into motion that fast. And exploring that order will take us all eternity. I am fascinated with God. I want sons and daughters that will be raised up to be fascinated with God because what fascinates us will dominate us and we need to be fascinated by God so that we'll be awakened to his purposes in our lives. Come on, help me clap it in. We're calling this in today. We're releasing something over this year. We're releasing something over our families. God is our Father, and He wants the very very best for our lives. Now, religion dilutes this. Religion convolutes this. Religion distracts from this in so many ways, and I'm sorry that that is the case, but it is. So when we start looking at this from a purely truth aspect of our doctrine, then we have to understand, and I'm going to say a couple of things today that that you, you might have to really think this through, but I'm going to challenge you to find Scripture for your conclusion as opposed to deciding what you're going to believe and then later, you know, hoping that's right. So we want to walk through a little bit of that. It's going to be a little bit of time here before I, 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 I interject those things. But, but God, number one, God is our Father. And he wants the very best for our lives. Now, Deuteronomy 6 showed us how we're to train up our children. We're going to go chapter back now. The second passage I want to talk to you about, Deuteronomy 5. We're going to put our hand on our heart again when I say it. Verse 29 to 33. Okay, you ready? Oh, that their hearts would be inclined. That's an important word, inclined. I want to ask you, what is the inclination of your heart? What are you inclined toward in your life. We all have inclinations. We need to understand this. It's an important part of what I believe God wants to reveal today. Oh, that your hearts would be inclined, we'll come back to that, to fear me and to keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Obviously, the next generation is a pretty important thing to a God who cannot be contained by one single generation. That's why he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what God did for Abraham, Isaac needs to know about because Isaac then hears what happened with Abraham and Isaac has his own experience then being coupled with what God did for his daddy and now he's stronger to be able to release something to the Jacob generation that then becomes stronger and every generation should be lifted higher on our shoulders as we raise them up in the purposes of God. It will go well with you and your children forever. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. So, religion takes this idea, and I know some people come to me when I start talking like this and they say, aren't we the religious community? And and let me just explain something to you. The Pharisees were the religious community. Okay, that's not who we are. We're the Jesus gang. 
We're alive to the love and the life of Jesus Christ. We're not here to tell people all the things that they're doing wrong. We're here to, we're here to tell people all the things that Jesus did right, and that awakens us out of the nonsensical lifestyle that we used to be in and that we're constantly walking in a greater place of freedom. So understand that, and, and I just this is something very important for us to get today, and it just was like a side interjection when I was working on this and praying about this, and then it became a centerpiece as I began to realize what God was saying in the midst of it. God has this. How many know God's awesome? Like, give him a thumbs up. Man, you are, you rock, God. You are amazing. God is awesome. He has the incredible ability to take very little and do a whole lot with very little. Like, he takes nothing and makes the earth. He takes dirt and makes humanity. He, he has this amazing ability to do so much with so little. And you ever notice, and this, this is where it gets a little challenging, but do you ever notice God doesn't really set the bar very high? Religious people hate it when you talk like this because we like to use the high bar as manipulative tactics to tell people, you better go to church or God is not going to care for you. You better give your money or God is not going to care. Can I just tell you something? If you don't go to church, God's still going to love you. If you don't give your money, God's still going to love you. It has nothing to do with how much he loves you. It has everything to do with what you believe God is desiring to accomplish and if you really want your life to flourish or not. That's what it has to do. God doesn't take this bar and set the bar high. In fact, what he does is he takes the bar and he makes it really low. And then Jesus conquers the bar and invites us just to kind of step over. I mean, let's, let's just look at this. I, I know this is a little tough to, to kind of digest, but, but I want you to think about just basic obedience that God calls us to. Let's just start with the Ten Commandments, okay? Here, here we go, Ten Commandments. Here's the bar, okay? It's not it's, it, like... If you're going to live in community, if you're going to live around other human beings, don't kill them. Whoa. I mean, like, it's not like fly. Like, whoa, God, I can't do that. No, it's like, don't kill people. Yeah, here's another one with the bar. If you're going to live around people, don't take their stuff. Just leave their stuff alone. You let your stuff be your stuff and let their stuff be their stuff. I mean, this is like talking to a three-year-old. Would you agree? I mean, it goes on. And like, if you're going to live around human beings, just tell the truth. Like, don't lie. This is crazy. Like, we've turned this into this high bar. Like, can we ever accomplish? And, and God's just like, listen, I brought the bar way low. And if you just give me a little bit of something, I'll show you what I can really do. I mean, he, he really is not asking that. I want to encourage you to know, because there are some people that are saddled under the weight of feeling like you're never going to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish, and you'll never please your father. Your father loves you. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you, and he'll do anything to gain your attention and possess your affection. He's an awesome God. And if we devote ourselves to a bar that any small child should be able to understand, then we'll find, write it in on your next blank, on your first blank here, Jesus is the master at doing more than we thought he could when le with less than we thought he needed. He is the master. Not only did God make nothing, 
uh, make earth and dirt out of nothing and, and man out of dirt. But like then we see it continuing, and, and he took a little kid's lunch and fed a mass of people. He's always taking less than we thought he needed, doing more than we thought he could. Did you hear Mrs. Howard standing up here, and she was like, God said, what's in your hand? Let me know what's in your hand is a really important part of what God wants to do in your life. How many of you know what's in your hand? I'm going to speak a little slower. Some of you may be from Texas. How many of you know? I mean, it's the draw. It's, that's all I'm saying. They like the draw. Like God wants to take what's in your hand and do something immeasurable in your life. Here's the problem. We wind up having, listen, we wind up having a love affair with what's in our heart, and we then sabotage what's in our hand because it doesn't look big enough to be the key to what's in our heart. But you have to understand, God is the master of taking less than we thought he needed and doing more than we thought he could if we'll simply cooperate with the plan. That's the plan. So we want to give everything we can over to him to accomplish those things. God not only made this simple, he not only took the bar and set the bar, but then he sent his word to dwell with us, to encourage us, to speak to us. You have the Holy Spirit talking to you all the time. You don't even realize it, but the Holy Spirit is constantly there. Your children don't live their life. If you're a born-again Christian and you've received Christ and you follow after the Lord, you know what the cross of Jesus Christ is. Did you hear when we were reading in Deuteronomy? Your children are blessed. The blessing of God has been assigned to their life. They don't play in the playground like other children play in the playground. If you're in covenant with God, they play in the playground with the voice of the Spirit awakened in their life in an entirely different dimension than any other kid on the playground. Come on, we got to win people to Jesus. We got to win the loss. Everybody's kids deserve that right. Everybody's kids deserve that opportunity. We have a great obligation to see the kingdom of God expand in our world. So, so here, come back to this. What is the inclination of your heart? You remember that whole thing? What are you inclined to work? Some of us are inclined to get angry fast. Some of us are inclined to not get angry fast enough. We have different inclinations in our lives. Where do these inclinations come from? Here's your blank. Thoughts are like seeds. Attitudes are like roots. Thoughts are like seeds. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. Just because a thought runs through your head doesn't mean you need to invite it to have a seat. Thoughts are like seeds, and attitudes are like roots. And we develop this entire structure in our lives and in our thinking of these seeds and roots in our minds and hearts that produce our attitudes and inclinations. Do you track that? We, we produce this entire, develop this entire structure of seeds and, ro and roots in our minds and hearts that really develop our attitudes and our inclinations. This is where it all comes from. And I want you to understand, we, we see this so clear. We started in the first five books of the Bible to see a progression of what God wants to do. I want us to go back kind of near the end where Jesus comes and he dies on the cross. Do you remember the two people that were crucified with him, those two thieves? And there's this big conversation. What's your inclination toward God? 
because we see the picture of two different dispositions by these two thieves that were on the cross. One of them was angry. One of them had an inclination against God, and, the, and this, this guy was saying, listen, if you'll do something for me, if you'll change my situation, then maybe I'll believe you are who you are, who you say you are. In other words, I need to see something change in my life before I'm willing to pay attention to you. And then the other thief on the cross, he said, he got theological. He said, listen, our sins got us here. He never sinned and doesn't deserve to be here. I want you to think about those two different dispositions. I'm angry. My heart is inclined to be mad. If God doesn't do something about my situation, I want my situation to change right now. Anybody ever been there before? And then move to the other side, and we begin to realize in our sinful state, in the presence of sinless Jesus, we're awakened to our need for God. You follow? Two very different perspectives. Two very different starting points. How many of you have ever had a car and you started having car trouble, and then you took it into the mechanic, and when you got it in front of the mechanic, the guy that could fix it, the car was working just fine. Has that ever happened to anybody here? How frustrating. And then you drive away from the mechanic. As soon as you leave, it starts doing it again. You're just like. And then when you finally get the car in front of the mechanic who can do the repair, and it does what it's been doing, showing its problem, revealing its blemish, revealing its issue, then all of a sudden you're rejoicing. Why? Because the problem is being revealed in the presence of the one who can fix it. See, when sinful man gets in the presence of sinless Jesus and we stop getting angry at God, but rather we get vulnerable before God and we say, here are my issues, Jesus immediately begins to make the repair. We call that redemption. Come on, help me celebrate that in. You believe in a redeeming Savior. He's starting the repair right now in some of our lives. Come on. We're calling this in today. Recognizing our sinful state next to sinless Jesus positions us in the grip of grace. It's your last blank. Recognizing our sinful state next to sinless Jesus positions us in the grip of grace. See, God is immediate to respond to our mistake, giving us the promise of redemption, taking us, Exodus, out of the bondage where we've been. Will you just stand? I want to commission you with this. God is immediate when we admit our mistake to express to us the promise immediately to redeem, taking us out of Exodus, the bondage, introducing us to the truth that will release and awaken a flourishing life, that we would embrace Leviticus, the the patterns and the rhythm of worship. Worship and gathering, being reminded over and over. Worship of giving, recognizing the lordship of God and and that it all came from him in the first place. We establish those patterns of worship, Leviticus, then in Numbers, we then move past. Do you get it? 
we then move past that rebellious, hateful attitude that looks at Jesus on the cross and says, I'm doing it my way, and if you'll change something about my life, then I'll accept who you really are in every area. It takes us into a place where we move beyond ourselves. And it's no longer about me living my life asking God to bless me, but it's about me participating in the generational, eternal plan of God that actually involved me before the foundation of the world. God purposed us to be in this room together. It's beyond my comprehension. But he purposed us to be having this conversation together today where his anointing is teaching us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. Speak to each of us. Speak to all of us. This is not about commissioning a few. This is about the commission to all of us that we're to carry your presence everywhere we go, to carry a heart that surrenders to you more readily every single day. In Jesus' mighty name.